The Awaken Project, Chapter 1, The Final War. Some believe when all you have known is war, it becomes part of you. Even with the stench of death from fallen comrades choking your every breath, it is all you know of life and you accept the taste of it. The fires of burning cities become your source of warmth, the screams of your enemy a form of entertainment. Wrapped around you like a blanket, it is when you're in the thick of it that you feel the safest. Silence is a cause of worry because in war, silence is unfamiliar. These sediments came from those who fought during the global war, following in the footsteps of those before them. These men and women knew nothing but the fight. When you fight for so long that you forget the reason the conflict began, you push on because it has become instinct. For those like me who came in at the end, we have not had that need for battle imprinted upon us. Some consider us lucky for that, while many of us regret it. What I saw during the last few years of the war did not prepare me. I did what was asked for me, and I have felt lost of friends and more. When peace came, I was happy to accept it. I had no need to continue on, no hatred that I felt needed to be drained out of me. My life was not defined by the lives I took. Some believed their merit was only proven on the battlefield, and for them, perhaps it was. I believed I would earn my place elsewhere. Sadly, I was mistaken. They attacked without warning or reason. The world had seen less than a year of peace before they came. When the global war ended, I believed that with the nations coming together, humanity would enter into a new time of peace and paradise. Maybe thoughts such as those are unbecoming for a soldier, but is what I wanted, what I hoped for. Our greatest advantages in science and technology came from the war. From our conventional to chemical to biological weapons came the ability to advance our civilization in ways that would have otherwise never been imagined. One of the first projects after reconstitution began was to bring the scientists of the world together to find new sources of energy to aid in the rebuilding of our world. The search began on Earth and we discovered how to break down any material into pure energy. Though it was highly experimental at the time, it would solve our energy crisis. However, we did not stop there. The search continued outward beyond our planet. The rate of our progress was astounding. During an operation with the Global Space Initiative, a young scientist discovered a small meteor that was on collision course with our planet. Though many of Earth's satellites were damaged or destroyed during the war, we still should have discovered the meteor sooner. As word of the meteor spread, it was soon revealed that a meteor had been tracked by our long-range satellites, but its course had been put nowhere near our planet. They were cowards. We had no name for them other than that. By the time the military realized it was an attack, the only course of action was to flee and hide their hand-picked best and brightest, the bunkers that were created during the global war in case of nuclear attack. The problem with the bunkers were they can only hold a small number of people, and though millions have died during the war, there were still millions more who would die when a meteor struck Earth. As far as we knew, there was no declaration of war. We never received any communications or demands. Our space-based weapons were designed to strike against our land targets and could do nothing against the massive death hurling towards us. Extinction was what was predicted. With the size and speed of which the meteor was heading towards Earth, nothing was expected to survive. 
even those locked beneath the earth in their bunkers would not be able to leave on their own in their children's lifetimes. It could have been the shortest war in history, but just as the meteor reached our planet's orbit, blasts of energy fired out from our moon, shattering it into pieces. At first there was a moment of joy and relief that we had been spared, and then the truth settled in. The blast was not created by anyone on Earth. There was no time to question who fired the blast because we were quickly learning why the blast occurred. They did not want to kill us in one quick action. Though the meteor was shattered, it was not destroyed. The pieces left were still large enough to inflict horrible damage upon the Earth. All I could do was watch from miles on the ground. While I was not one of the chosen per se, it was only because of my military service and proximity to the bunker that I was allowed in, but it came at a terrible price. Outside, however, the price being paid by humanity was much, much worse. As the fragments rained down upon the earth, millions were killed and an already weakened planet was left crippled. With more than half the population killed, only phase one of their plan was complete. There was no record or scans of any ships in orbit, but somehow they began to appear all across our planet. We assumed they used some type of matter transport devices. They could appear out of thin air, and they only seemed to appear in areas that still stood after attack. While intelligent enough to attack military targets, they were also brutal enough to murder civilians. Women, children, it did not matter to them. All we could wonder is why attack in this manner? Why prolong a war they could have won in minutes? As the ground troops hunted down the remembrance of humanity, I had found a reason to fight. It was not just for the deaths of all those people, but for the one that mattered the most to me. Most of the world's military was destroyed, or still trapped beneath the earth. While we were still outnumbered, more than ten to one, we all banded together to fight. It was either that, or lie down and die. Most of us who could fire a weapon took up arms to fight back our own extinction. Many fought alongside those that, just a year ago, they would have been fighting against. It was like finding the sun just before it sets, peace before death. We knew little of our attackers, and this did not change over time. They wore black, metallic environmental suits. We believed this would give us an advantage since we believed there had to be something in our air, something on our planet that they could not adapt to. We soon learned, however, that their suits not only gave them protection from our environment, but also from most of our weapons. We could take little joy in the killing of our unnamed enemy. As tough of a task that it was to take one down, even when we did, we found no body inside. There was no way to capture or interrogate them. Even with our best efforts, just to disable them, the closest anyone ever was to come was when we were able to trap one beneath a collapsed building. However, it somehow knew that it had been captured. And when we approached it, a green mist began to rise out from the suit. When we finally cracked it open, all we found inside, what we always found, ashes. They didn't fight like soldiers, more like exterminators. I say this because they took no prisoners, set up no bases. When we were able to kill enough of them, more would just appear out of thin air. We continued searching space for signs of a mothership, but we found none. It was speculated that perhaps their base was on the moon, where the blast of energy came from. There was no way to confirm that. Our all our attempts to launch spacecraft or missiles were countered by their attacks. We only had two options, continue to fight or die. 
Rumors began to spread about who our enemy was, from theories that our own government unleashed them to religious hysteria. None of the reasons mattered to me. I was David Zaver, first lieutenant of the security squad for the Naxim Research Facility. My job was to protect Bunker Number 13 from attack. Once the meteor fell and my wife was taken from me, I only had one job left. Kill every one of those sons of bitches until the day I died. There was a story about a military chaplain who told new recruits the day before graduation from boot camp. It was about a man whose family was killed when the Eastern Alliance bombed his town. Before then, he abstained from war and believed that diplomatic talks were the best weapons. But before his family was laid to rest, he had already joined the Federation forces. The day after they were buried, he was shipped off to the front lines. The man used his anger and hatred to ruthlessly slaughter the enemy. As the body count mounted, he found that even covered in the blood of his enemies, he could not fill the void within him. He continued on. His tactics became more and more brutal. In time, his targets were no longer confined to the military. Everyone under Alliance banner was to be put to death. He believed only then could his pain go away. Learning to block out the cries of women and children, the man burned entire cities to the ground. Nothing, even the total decimation of his enemy's lands, could bring him peace. When he took a moment to close his eyes, all he could see is the blurred faces screaming in agony. After years of this, the man no longer cared about anyone, including himself. The battle continued, and there was more and more enemies to kill, but to this man, there was no reason to continue. One night, as he laid resting inside a hollowed building, he was attacked by an enraged man. As he fought against the man, he could see in his eyes the same burning hatred that he once had. The enraged man screamed that his family had been murdered by the man's hand and that he was there to exact revenge. At first the man put up a fierce fight to defend himself, but as the struggle continued he realized he had become what he hated most in the enemy. Falling to his knees, the man looked up at his enraged attacker and told him that he would accept his fate and allow the man to kill him. As the enraged man placed his weapon to the man's forehead, his hand shook as he prepared to fire. Closing his eyes, preparing for death, the man spoke his final words. He told the enraged man that no matter how many men he killed, it would not bring back his family. He said that revenge cannot heal a wound. No death would fill the emptiness within his soul. The enraged man kicked him in the face, knocking him onto his back. Placing his boot on his chest, the enraged man belt down, sticking the weapon between the man's eyes. He said that he was not killing the man to fill a void but to prevent him from bringing the pain he felt to another human being. With those final words, the enraged man fired, killing him. That was the last person the enraged man killed. The chaplain told that story to teach us we fight to prevent the suffering of others. I did not buy it. Whenever a human life is taken, there is a void, whether it is a soldier or a civilian. Yet, I was still a soldier, and I still fought, and I still killed. Two years later, I used the void left when my wife was killed to continue on. It did not matter to me the pain I may have brought to the enemy. They were not human, and they attacked us unprovoked. I promised myself I would not rest. As long as I had breath within my body, the war would never end. After numerous injuries, they pulled me from the advance team. I had spent the last few months patrolling Meridian City. 
I patrolled the streets surrounding the once beautiful landscape of what was the Unity Building. It was that building that the Global Peace Treaty was signed. A few years ago, its shimmering glass structure would shine out across the green grounds. Now, it was blackened and burned, a shelter for the dying. The night was cold and dark. The moon's light could barely shine through the thick smoke from the burning remains of the city. It was quiet, much like the cemetery it had become. My patrol was not so much to search for the enemy, but more to protect the few remaining humans left in the area. However, there was a potential for an attack. Factor Alpha, our top advanced recon team, had its base on the outskirts of the city. Though it had never been attacked directly, there was still a possibility. I personally believe they only told me that to make me feel as if I was still contributing. The time far away from the war did not dull my senses. I could easily distinguish the difference between a starving animal searching for a fresh corpse, a marauder, or someone looking for a weakened prey. Unlike the man in that story, my will to kill had not faded. My body was weakened, but my resolve remained as strong as ever. I made a promise to continue to fulfill my duty until I could return to the front lines, my reason for living. I had seen many things during these last two years. As we learned that our enemy had no established endgame beyond human termination, many people lost all hope. There were many people who turned to suicide when the enemy approached their town. They would kill everyone and burn the buildings and land to the ground. It was as if they were erasing our existence from the planet. Watching city after city fall, people could not help but turn to anything to help them deal with reality. Hope and faith were quickly cast aside as survival became the only focus. As I walked through the charred remains of Salvation Park, I thought back on my own loss of hope. There was no time that I thought of suicide. Even once I realized my wife was left outside to die, to take my own life after my wife had her stolen would be an affront to her memory. I would never take my own life, but I would gladly give it away in battle. My thoughts were interrupted by a sound of something scurrying in the shadows. My mind could not make out what it was. It was small, but ran on two legs, not an animal. With my hands gripped tightly around my rifle, I shined its light towards the corner of a building. The footsteps came to a stop, just outside the light. As I moved the beam across the rubble, I saw it duck beneath the fallen bricks. I yelled for it to step into the light. Receiving no response, I slowly moved towards its position. By then I was certain it was not one of them. However, I had learned soon after we were freed from the bunker that the enemy can come from within as well. Without hope or faith in the rule of law only being to survive, humans can quickly revert back to the animals they once were. Unfortunately, in my time, I had to kill many of my own kind because of this. I moved closer and yelled once again, this time adding the warning that I was armed. It quickly ran from the rubble. Maybe a less experienced soldier would have fired, but I could tell by its movements that it was fleeing in terror. Regardless, I could not let an unknown escape. Firing my weapon, it froze in place. Shining my light upon it, its eyes widened. A child, no older than ten, stood before me. She stared at me with eyes like a frightened cat. Covered in cuts and bruises, the child was seriously malnourished, her rags providing no protection from the increasingly cold night. Even though I was a child, I could not lower my weapon. Her eyes locked onto mine as if she was trying to understand what she was seeing. This was not a new sight, 
but it had been a long time since I had seen a child not in the hospital or the morgue. I spoke softer, telling her that I was a soldier and not to move. While it was clear she had no weapons on her person, often people would use children as a decoy for attacks. Slowly, I made my way towards her. There wouldn't be much that I could do for her except take her to the nearest shelter, but it would be better than to remain there. Taking careful steps, the closer I got to her, the lower my gun went. Just a few feet from her, I did something I had not done in two years. I smiled. She tilted her head. It reminded me of my golden retriever as a child. Then, in an instant, a look of panic shot across her face. My senses had dulled after all, I quickly realized. I only heard it as it flew by the side of my head. The grenade casing struck the ground directly beneath the both of us, the blast knocking us apart. This was an ambush, not by a human, but by them. The heat burned my flesh and blinded me. The force slammed my body against the ground. My body ached, my ears rung. I was completely helpless. I cursed at myself for dropping my guard and my thoughts turned to a little girl. I focused my eye open and through blurred vision I could see her lying on the ground several feet from me. I could not tell if she was unconscious or dead. Unable to move my body, my hearing slowly returned to the sound of metal footfalls approaching me. Through the settling dust, the environmental suit stood over me. My eyes searched the ground for my weapon, but it was out of reach. For many, it was frustrating to never see the eyes of your enemy. They never spoke. The only sound came from their suits. I could do nothing but stare up at its visor. Slowly it lowered its head. I did not know what it was doing until it turned and walked away. It was analyzing me, and by walking away it determined that I was not a threat. This was not abnormal. Often they did not kill you immediately. They would continue attacking those who posed a threat before returning to finish you off. What was abnormal that night was that it made its way towards the little girl. Still motionless, there was no reason for it to leave me and approach her. Though my body was still paralyzed, anger surged through me as I forced my head from the ground. I screamed at it, trying to draw its attention. We did not know if it understood our language, but I could not let it harm that girl. It paid me no mind as it stood over the girl's lifeless body, as if studying it. Slowly, it raised its hand over the girl. I began screaming again at the top of my lungs, I knew what would happen next. I had seen it before, but the stories came long before I witnessed it for myself. The enemy did not like to leave bodies behind. Those that we did find were either dying or already killed, usually in an explosion or a crash, not from direct contact with the enemy. With every ounce of strength left in me, I tried to move toward the girl, but I would not reach her in time. A green light shined from the palm of its hand. With a flash, the light fired down, engulfing the girl's body. She did not make a sound as her body disintegrated. I had seen death countless times, but this one did something to me. I could see my wife's face within hers. My eyes clenched together, a tear rolled down the side of my face. There was no scent, no remains. Nothing was left of the girl's body. It was as if she never existed. It turned and slowly walked towards me. I was next. I wonder if it wanted me to see her die. Though we never saw any emotion in the enemy, even with the death of its comrades, we had to believe they could feel pain, loss. There has to be emotion to war. 
if you cannot feel anything when you take a life, then you have no business taking it. If nothing else, we needed to believe there was some reason for them attacking us. It not only made it easier to continue fighting, but gave us a strange sense of meaning. We could never accept that we were just vermin to be exterminated. My remaining energy was draining from my body. I refused to lose consciousness. I wanted to see my end coming. I had failed to save that girl. I would not fail to die like a soldier. My hand slowly crept up the side of my body. Across my chest, five grenades sat attached to a dead man's pin. We called it Final Vengeance. Once the stories of our enemy's tactics spread across the core, we began outfitting everyone with five grenades attached to a single pull pin. You could detach each grenade separately and use them in battle, or if you were seriously injured, dying, they served a secondary purpose. Fight or die was not just a saying. It was who we were and what we did. One way or another, if we became injured, we would end up dead. No one wanted to die in a field hospital. No matter how good Alpha Medical doctors were, they could not save everybody. Honestly, they couldn't save many. It was a soldier named Fabian Vagan that was the first to use Final Vengeance. It was after his death we learned that five grenades could do the job. Since then, many had performed Final Vengeance, and every one of their names were recorded. As it stood over me, I was ready to join them. As it raised its hand over me, my thoughts turned to my wife. The green light from its hand shined across my face. The time was at hand. There were no final words. I just briefly closed my eyes to see her face one last time. My hand gripped the pin and with a final motion I pulled it. It did not react to the pins falling from the grenades. It did not matter. Soon both it and I would be dead. I did not know what would come next. I had seen enough. All I wanted to do was see the face of my beloved Clara and apologize that I could not have avenged her more. Next week, Chapter 2, Memories in the Dark.